It is God who helps us to minister to people using that term in a very specific way and help people, only God. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rodham. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We're taking you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. Today, we're in one of my favorite parts of scripture. We're into Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, and I am excited about this. Corey is here. Corey, what's going on? Well, I'm going to be talking about what we know about Timothy the man and Timothy the book. Ryan? Well, today I'm talking about polygamy in the Bible. Is God for it or is he against it? All right, very good question, and we'll talk about that. Janice, what did you do? Today, my segment is called Amazing Grace. All right, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Keep in mind that we are reading what God has said to us. Open your Bible, and let's look at 1 Timothy 1. First Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now, to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. First Timothy 1 to 3. This is really something exciting. Paul's writing to Timothy, uh, his son or his disciple in Jesus Christ, as he calls a brother in Christ or a son of Christ. Now, I find this absolutely fascinating because it talks so much. Paul really lets his emotions fly here. And you know, a lot of people understand that emotions, they can be powerful tools of communication. Paul the Apostle often used emotion in his biblical messages. The Holy Spirit also uses emotion to communicate the divine messages of God. Now let's talk about emotion. Because emotion modulated by the Holy Spirit is one way God communicates what he's doing in our time. You see, it's very easy for us to have our emotions completely wrapped up in our own lives and the things of our culture, everything that affects us. However, think about this. Believers in Jesus Christ try to always have their emotions wrapped around Christ and his message. Believers in Jesus Christ wrap their emotions around Christ. Now, the Bible tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our strength. That's a command of God. It means our spirit, 
our emotions and our body. When we do not, our emotions become erratic, undefined, and destroy us. Paul spoke with his longtime friend and companion, Timothy, with meaningful emotion. Through these biblical examples, the Lord teaches us about who we will become as we continue to follow him with all of our soul and with all of our strength. Our emotions, we must learn to wrap around all of the things of God. And that's one of the things we do at our prayer time. We begin by praying for the big things and the persecuted church and all of that in the world. And then we come down to our stuff. Others first and then us. That becomes a significant part of what we do. Now, if you have your Bible guide, turn to today's passage, Heart, Soul, and Strength, in 1 Timothy 12 to 17. Last year, we talked about 1 Timothy 1, 1 to 11. And this year, we're going a bit further. And these verses we're going to talk about. So, Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would show us your ways. And Lord, teach us your paths because you have programmed out our lives differently than we would live them. So we need to get with you and help you align our emotions correctly. And so in Jesus' name, this is what we pray. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, as we look at this, it becomes fascinating. We look at 1 Timothy 1, just verse 12. One verse. Look at this. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. <laughs> I want to tell you something. It is not the school system. It is not the college system. It is not the university system. It is God who enables us to minister and touch people with what we say and do. God does that. We should always thank God for that. Listen to me carefully because I need to explain this. When we talk about ordination, that's a word that refers to following. It, it's, it's a reference to we see what God has done and we're following God. Many people think of ordination as, well, now you can preach. No, you can preach when God calls you to preach. And then the ordination will follow. That's exactly what happened to me ordained by three organizations that way, and it'll happen to us as we are called to ministry, full-time ministry. Not a lot of people are, but some are called and some decide they want to, and they don't get the full picture, and they think their schooling does it for them. Very important that we understand that. Now, let's go on to verse 13. One verse again. Here we go. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, Paul says, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Well, that's not a very good description, Paul. But I obtained mercy. Why? Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Wow. We never do things right when we act without God. We never do. We must always pay attention to how we live and how we love. How do we live? And how do we love? Jesus Christ said, love your enemies as yourself and love others as you do yourself. 
that becomes important. The justice of God, which the Old Testament talks about the justice. First, the righteousness of God, being right with God, and then the justice. We need to get that right. And that's for everybody. But in ministry, James 3 tells us that we're judged differently. We'll get to that. And it's important for us to recognize that Timothy is told by Paul, this is how you think. Now, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. So that's what he says. Let's go on to the next one. This gets even more interesting. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, Paul says. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and with love, which are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a faithful saying, and this is worthy of all acceptance. Okay, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul says. Verse 16, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow, Paul did Amazing. You see, God will develop and grow us in long-suffering. I know not, not everybody wants to be developed in long-suffering because we're not patient people. But what, what does long-suffering mean? It means suffering long. Long-suffering. <laughs> not in impatience. The Lord always does what's best in our life, even though we cannot always see it. One of the things that I need to tell you is that I'm all good for serving God, serving God, but long-suffering, I'm not good at. God has given me things to overcome in my life. And I've said, okay, Lord, you can take this away in a second because I've seen you do it with others. And that you've done it with me in certain circumstances, but there's things I have that you haven't taken away. Long-suffering, Lord, help me, help me, long-suffering. We need to understand that God teaches us as we develop and go through things. God teaches us, beloved. That's what we need. The world does not teach the ways of God. We're not taught the ways of God by TV commercials. We're not taught. The, we're not. We're taught the ways of God through the word of God when we read it and understand it. So, beloved, today, may we learn what God has said and understand that in our life, there are things God will help us go through them if we pay attention and ask for God's help. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there.
So today and for the next two days here on Bible Discovery, we are taking a look at the books of First and Second Timothy. So because of this, you and I are going to be focusing in on Timothy himself. Now, this is a bit uh, diverse because we're not just looking at Timothy the book, we're also looking at Timothy the man because of course it is named after the man to whom this book was originally written as a letter. Paul writing to Timothy, take a look. An often unsung hero of early Christianity, Timothy is first mentioned in the Bible in Acts chapter 16. Then he, Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Timothy is said to have traveled with Paul during his second and third missionary journeys. His name is found as the co-author and co-sender of no less than six of the books of the New Testament, co-authored with the Apostle Paul. Many scholars believe that Timothy also acted as one of Paul's amanuenses, his scribes. And in the book of Romans, Timothy sent a greeting through Paul to the church in Rome, insinuating that Timothy was with Paul when he wrote the letter. There are also three times in the New Testament books when it is recorded that Timothy acted as Paul's letter carrier, traveling to the recipients and staying to instruct them beyond the contents of the letter. In the New Testament books named after him, 1st and 2nd Timothy, we have messages from Paul to Timothy who was left in charge of the church at Ephesus. 1st Timothy gives instructions from Paul on how to deal with a certain heresy that had made its way into the Ephesian church. This heresy included false teaching from the Torah, aestheticism that forbade marriage, and a false prideful kind of knowledge, and it's the reason that Paul gave strict instructions on choosing church leaders. The book of 2 Timothy is by far the most personal letter of Paul that we have. During its writing, Paul was a prisoner and believed himself to be close to death. Many place the writing of 2 Timothy during Emperor Nero's persecution of Christians in Rome from AD 64 to 68, during which the Apostle Paul is believed to have been executed. Paul's commendations and his personal trust in Timothy appear throughout his letter, and his appeal for Timothy to come to him quickly before he's martyred shows the importance of their friendship. After Paul's martyrdom, Timothy would continue on in his leadership of the early church, fulfilling his call and running his race well. So there we go. There are a lot of interesting figures and characters that we're introduced to in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts. There's just a lot going on. Uh, and Timothy is one of those. He's just this really interesting character here, this, this historical figure who was left in charge of Ephesus, uh, this, this major city uh, that you know, when Paul was living there, when he was preaching there, it wasn't exactly a peaceful experience. There was a lot of contention going on, a, a lot of, um, you know, rumblings in the society of Ephesus. And there was Timothy smack dab in the, in the middle of this socially and politically diverse city that we're going to be talking about over the next couple programs. And that was interesting. Ephesus was huge. It was yes. a big city at the time. And for Timothy to be there and to be a part of this, uh, I mean, I would have felt overwhelmed as well. And Paul sends this letter. Yeah. 
and writes to him. This is personal, you know. He's not like writing to the church, but he's writing to Timothy. Yeah. He says specific things to him. Well, and we can't forget that that um, according to the book of Acts, Christianity was disruptive in yeah. the Ephesus culture. Not that they were trying to be disruptive, but that it, it had spread so much that it was profoundly impacting the social and ep- economic structures of the city. So there's some really real tension going on, and I'm going to continue talking about that tension on tomorrow's program. I'm very excited about that. Now, you know that they called Christians in those days atheists Mm -hmm. because they only believed in one God. It was popular to have many gods. And they thought, you're crazy. You're an atheist. You only believe in one God. It's very, very interesting how the words have shifted around and changed somewhat over time. Excellent, Corey. Look forward to tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. You're going to like that one. Ryan. Yeah, well, in my segment today, I'm going to be examining an apparent inconsistency regarding God's character. And the specific question is, does God approve or disapprove of polygamy? Now, as an example, consider the passage in 1 Kings 11, which records that King Solomon, a man clearly used by God, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. But then we read in passages like 1 Timothy 3 that such men ought to be the husband of just one wife. Now, is this an inconsistency on God's part? Well, let's take a look. Many believe that the Bible is littered with errors and inconsistencies and therefore could not possibly be the Word of God. One of these supposed inconsistencies is that God is seemingly both for and against polygamous relationships. For example, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, King David, and the like all had more than one wife. Perhaps worst of all was King Solomon. 1 Kings 11.3 records that he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. All these men were used mightily by God, yet 1 Timothy 3.2 commands that such men be the husband of one wife. How can this be? It is important to understand that the Bible is not a book of myth, but a book that reports actual history with real people, real places, and real events. And just like a modern news reporter, the biblical authors report the truth of what happened. However, it does not mean that they necessarily condone it. Indeed, we read in other places in Scripture instances of lying, murder, theft, and rape, yet these are in no way condoned. On the contrary, they are considered shameful. For example, in Genesis 2, God established marriage as something between one man and one woman, and in Deuteronomy 17.17, commands that kings should not multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Polygamy was never a part of God's original plan and is never promoted as a good thing in the Bible. Indeed, these relationships brought nothing but judgment and hardship. Abraham's marriage to Hagar brought strife to the family, while God punished King David for his adultery with Bathsheba. And 1 Kings 11.3 concludes by saying that King Solomon's many wives turned his heart away from God. Some try to argue that God condoned Jacob's polygamous relationships, since this is where the 12 tribes of Israel came from. However, just because God used sinful relationships to complete his task does not mean he condoned it. The reality is that no one besides Christ Jesus is without sin. So as I said in the segment, it's very important to understand that the Bible reports on real events and real people, including their mistakes. But just because it records these things doesn't mean that God condones it. When you pay really close attention to the scriptures, it very quickly becomes obvious how polygamous relationships bring nothing but strife and trouble to those involved. In summary, there's no inconsistency or contradiction because God is never for polygamy. 
I think it's important to remember the beginning. And as Jesus said, remember the beginning when he was talking to the people, they started asking about marriage and so on. That uh, God created one woman and one man. And of course, he created the woman from man. But it's interesting because the woman came from man at that point. But then from now on, the expansion of the human race, it comes from woman, mm -hmm. like men and women together. But then the woman nurtures the child. Uh, in her stomach. And that's fascinating. Yeah, it's quite the picture, isn't it? It, it? It's a stunning picture. It really is. And I like on the uh, polygamy thing, I think it's interesting because there was a person, the late Danny Curl was a great missionary. And he said, Roddy said, it's like the tribe's leader. Uh, I was in the back part of Zimbabwe and I ran into a tribe and told them about Jesus. They came to the Lord and he said, I went back there and he said, the tribe leader said, uh, to me because he gave him a Bible. The tribe leader said, well, I'm just like David. I have seven wives. And uh, mm. <laughs> Danny said, I didn't know what to say to him at that point. And because I liked the idea that he liked, you know, being like somebody in the Bible. But at the same time, that's his mistake. You don't want to make a mistake, a positive thing. I said, well, what'd you say? He said, well, I went back to him and told him, well, you need to make one wife your main wife like Adam and Eve. And so apparently he he took one wife and the others became his servants, but the one wife he made his. And so it's very, very interesting mm. how this whole thing plays out today, especially. So very good. Thank you for that. All right, Janice, what's up? Well, this mentorship must have been so incredibly special to Timothy to have uh, Paul pour so much of his life into Timothy. And we see that here in this chapter of First Timothy. In the first chapter, Paul is giving glory to God for God's grace. And you can hear in the, the words, the emotion that Paul wrote here. He said, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And he goes on to describe the grace of the Lord. Listen to it. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He really wanted Timothy to hear the grace of God and to understand it not only in Paul's life, but that Timothy would recognize it in his own life and to be able to extend that grace and to see the grace of God working in those who would come to the faith in Ephesus and in the places where he would be ministering to. I wanted to bring us to a couple of other verses in the scriptures that also talk about that, that talk about the grace of God. I think on Friday's program, we touched on a little bit about people who feel as though perhaps you've done too much, you've gone too far, that God could never forgive someone like you. And yet when you hear Paul, who was formerly Saul, who did in all of 
his zeal for God directed it in the wrong way, not understanding who he was actually persecuting and, and, and having to, to, to recognize what he did wrongly and then understanding that God chose him and reworked him and forgave him for those very things. And so here we see in John 3, verse 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Because you see, the world is already condemned. We live in sin after that first sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden, disobeying the word of God, sin has abounded. But God has made a way through his son because he loves you. He loves you and wants that restoration. It's a gift that's offered to us, and we simply have to accept it and agree to that or not. It is a decision that each one of us has to make. Luke 19 verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I didn't do some of the things that Paul did, but I certainly have done and sometimes still continue to do things that I shouldn't do. And that's where the amazing grace of God still amazes me to this day. His love and his forgiveness when we willfully give our lives to him, when we are willfully trying to be obedient, when we find out things as we read through the scriptures, as he deals with us in our everyday lives, as, as we come to him, and we feel that, that inner voice, that conscience that God gives us, that there's something that's just not right in there. When we come to him and we ask for his forgiveness, he gives it. And that's the amazing and wonderful grace of God. It is, and that's the amazing grace that we talk about, and that's why songs have been written about it. Exactly. And the, the most famous song that ever is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, it saved a wretch like me. And that's a true statement. Mm -hmm. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, and now I see. Yes. So I was blind, now I see. We come lost from found. that darkness yes. that's, that's inside of us, that darkness that's there because of sin, and Jesus is that light. Yeah. And all of a sudden that light comes inside and we begin to see things differently. It's like when you turn on the light switch or you light that candle, things around you begin to change. I'd like to ask you to join us at 3.30 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, where we share a prayer meeting on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV. Look up Bible Discovery TV, and uh, we'll pray with you. 
and that's very, very important for you to understand. Today, we need to pray. Lord, I come to you today. I desire you in all my heart, my soul, and my strength. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask these things because it's important.